Hello, hello, hello. What's up, my people? Welcome to 254 Ka Rada, your weekly podcast on staying woke, quote unquote, on what is going on on the continent. And I am your lovely host, the one and only, the loyal and holy. Come on, poetry. Oh my God, that rhymes still. Um, <laughs> Socrates. And I'm extremely grateful that you guys tune in every week. And I hope that y'all are grateful as well that I've been, you know, posted every week. Okay, can I get my props though? Can I get my props though? <laughs> the consistency is uncanny because we are in 2019, y'all. <laughs> Anyways, you know, on this podcast, we have three segments. The first is the African gem section, and that is where we shout out somebody doing great things on the continent for the continent. And the second segment is polisoch, which is a play on words, well, play on the words, social political issues on the continent. And the third is the shawariyako segment. And y'all have been keeping it lit because y'all have been sending questions, so thank you. <laughs> um, so... Let's kick it off with our African gem. So our African gem this week is somebody that some of you might know, but I feel like I have a lot of young listeners, so you guys might not know him. His name is Salif Keita. Um, he is from Mali, and he is a musician, yeah? And um, he's kind of infamous because, one, he's super talented at what he does, but also he's uh, albino, or albino, as some people would say. And... A little bit of history about him like I just found this out because the Guardian kind of did like a expose on him because he was saying how he's retiring from music and they're like why we're all like why um (laughs) so actually like many people he was born um not many people but he was born with uh albinism and of course uh he faced a lot of like discrimination and also ostracization so he talks about the fact that he was from a family that actually albinism wasn't um it was like in the lineage like his mom had a lot of cousins that had albinism so he talks about his father um not being surprised when he came out with albinism and he said it when he first went to school like he really had to like learn how to fend for himself because he was like in a school of about 500 people and he was the only he says white kid um, so here's the thing that I find interesting about him is that he is from like his family is a descendant from, uh, the warrior King Seta that founded Mali 13 centuries ago. What? Come on, royalty. But he said, despite that, like his family was still poor. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is century, centuries later. Um, so he says, <laughs> actually like. He did not want to be a musician like he wanted to be a teacher and when during those times like if you wanted to be a teacher the government had to like post you basically like so i think he went to a doctor and the doctor was like bruh you can't be a teacher number one because you'll scare the kids and um you know your eyesight because you know albinism also affects the eyes and he was like hold up but i have like glasses that make that don't make that an issue like you know what i mean so obviously it was just because of this albinism so he said being a musician was like his last, 
his last resort because he's like, I can't get a job. I can't even do the thing that I want to do. Also, all that's left is for me to be like a criminal, a thief. Like, I'm going to just go with music. But the thing is, for his family, they did not want him to do music. Like, music was like a thing that, you know, was just considered like, you know, like Africans even till this day are like, uh uh, you want to do music, you want to do arts, and you want to do something creative. How is that going to make you money? Eh? You need to do something in the maths, eh? something in the theories, <laughs> and not music theories. Um, so he was like, honestly, they didn't want me to do it, so I left because that was literally the only thing I could do. And so he started playing in cafes in the city. And, you know, he just got his, like, you know, his accolades, his fans. And he ended up playing for Nelson Mandela. Like, bruh. Like, you know, he made it. Um, and the thing that I found interesting about him is that now, of course, he just put out his most recent album. And he's like, listen, I'm retiring. And everyone's like, why? And he's just like, I'm tired. You know, I want to go cultivate back in my country. Um, and he's already been doing that. So he has a Salif Keita uh, <coughs> organization in the U.S. and in Mali as well. And what this organization does is that, you know, they help distribute uh, sunscreen to people with albinism. And they uh, also, like, you know, provide, like, the, the glasses, basically spectacles, if you would say. Um, so I thought that was really dope. And also, just last year, he had held... Uh, um, a concert like awareness raising thing for um this girl that was actually like she was like five years old and she was killed in uh bamako i think and so he held the concert and he was like never again and you know like i kind of love that though because you know he says because of fame his albinism doesn't matter anymore you know what i mean and so like he's trying to make it so like that is the norm like you know on the continent a lot you hear about children in albinism being killed, their organs being used for like witchcraft purposes, like because people think like, I don't know, but it's just like a whole stigma around it. And yeah, I just love that he's doing something towards that. And he's an artist, like, you know what I mean? Like it just goes to show like people need to stop being all like, oh, the creatives, eh? they don't have jobs. They're not going to do anything. But clearly yeah, we are changing the world. Eh? He's changing the world with his music one. And he's also changing using that as a platform to talk about albinism and to raise awareness on the fact that a lot of a lot of people suffering from albinism on the continent face a lot of discrimination, marginalization, and just plain all like being killed, you know? So yes, shout out to Salif Keita. He's the one in the intro of the music in the song. Um, <laughs> he's the one in the intro of the podcast. So you know, check him out. Um, yes, so let us go on with our uh, polisoge, eh? You know, the, the, the theme for this week is polytrix, eh? Polytrix, eh? Because a lot of people are polytricky on the continent. Yeah, and first, you know, <clears throat> there are two major elections going down this weekend. Huh? First, the Nigerian one, which should have happened last weekend. <laughs> And two, the one in Senegal. So let's just get this Nigerian one out of the way because I feel like, you know, it's been covered enormously because people are just like, what? So here's the thing. Just a bit of background. Of course, the elections were postponed from last week to this week in Nigeria. And it had nothing allegedly, yeah, allegedly, it had nothing to do with politics. Yeah, even the politicians themselves, uh, Atiku and Buhari, the ones who were going against each other, you know, 
even they were like, we had nothing to do with this. We're upset that it's been postponed. We can't believe it. I think it's Buhari that's doing this. I think that it's Atiku that's doing this to like, you know, rig the elections. Um, so basically it was just the electoral commission, INEC, um, that postponed it. And just this, just this week, you know, they've been saying like, uh, when they postponed it, they were like, oh, logistical issues. But I feel like this week is when they really come out and said, what, what logistic arrangements are you talking about? And what logistic arrangements? So the representative from INEC was basically like, listen, we were working 24 hours <laughs> to deliver this election materials. And it just so happened that, you know, a lot of the ones that were supposed to be delivered by air, um, the weather was bad or something. So we had to deliver them by on land, like driving. And it wasn't until the last minute that we realized that um, we were going to have to postpone it. Number one, like before they postponed these elections, all of these representatives of INEC were coming out, like showing off, saying like, you know, these things are going to go off without a stitch. You know, there's not going to be any election rigging. Of course, some polling stations were being burnt down, but, you know, they were just saying that they're staying abreast of these things and they are going to, you know, pull off the elections without a stitch. Say that they're working 24-7 and then now all of a sudden. And then to me, it's my thing. Like, if the weather is bad, <laughs> you know this. Like, if you know, you know how long it would take you to deliver something by car to a place. Like, you don't have to tell us four hours, five hours before the elections that it's not going to happen. Like, you know what I mean? The thing I found interesting, though, was that they thought that if they were going to postpone it, um, they would only need to postpone it uh, till the Monday. It was supposed to happen Saturday. Um, but they were like, uh, they were told by the ICT guys that they had to configure the smart reader cards again. And they basically said because they're set for a certain date, so we have to re reconfigure them for a for the next date, and that is going to take five to seven days, and that is why they have postponed it until Saturday. Mm -hmm. I believe it's Saturday. Yeah, the twenty fourth. So that is that is what is going on in Nigeria. And then they were like, okay, but we're banning campaigns. Eh? And Atiku and Buhari were like, eh, what? Absolutely not. We're going to keep campaigning. And then so, so the commission came out. They were like, fine, you can campaign till Thursday. But here's the thing. As the electoral commission, like, you know what I mean? Buhari came out and said, like, you know, because he's the current president. He was like, I have had no, you know, interference with the electoral commission. All we did as administration is make sure that they had funds. But really, though, because when they tell you not to campaign, you say, no, I am the leader of this country. We're going to keep campaigning. <laughs> you know, I'm just not here for all these uh, polytricking, you know, maneuvers. Eh? And so, yeah, the election is supposed to happen in, on Saturday. I believe that will happen. Even the INEC representative was like, listen, <laughs> Nigerians are not going to give us a second chance eh, to get this right. But technically, this is the third time elections are being postponed in Nigeria. It happened literally back to back. It happened in 2011, happened in 2015. It is happening now. So to me, I'm like, at this point, as a Nigerian, I should just expect, eh? I should just expect it. Yeah, you know, that is a, you know, like, I feel like on the continent, the only thing a lot of politicians deliver on are elections. And I didn't say anything about them being free and fair. Like, they don't, I'm not saying that they deliver free and fair elections. They just deliver elections, eh? because that is, that is the cream and crop of their career. Huh? 
Um, so for me, I'm like three times in a row, you don't postpone elections. You don't care. You know, and I really feel, I feel bad for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, cause everyone was making arrangements to travel. My friend is actually there and she was supposed to be an observer in one of the States. And she says she also like woke up getting ready to go. And she, they were like, mm, sorry, it's been canceled. So, you know, cause they've been talks about people saying that they let the, uh, international observers know way before. <clears throat> but she is an observer and she says she didn't know even the youth that were like going around to administrate the elections like be there for administrative purposes they were not told that eh? they were also waking up early to go so me i don't know what's true or not um but i do think they could have let people know more than hours before and um yeah it's happening this as i say so just just keep uh you know keep yourself updated or if not i will keep you updated the next week you know it is a it is a it is a mutual relationship <laughs> oh but you know what before i started actually on this i wanted to give an update on caroline martha from last week you know she was an activist that was working on on just ending extrajudicial killings basically um so you know when i when i last spoke last week i was saying how they postponed the autopsy until this monday but you know, people were people were like, bruh, why? Eh? Why why do you need to postpone it a week? Yeah, people really not in the office to carry out this autopsy. Um, so they actually had it on Thursday, and it was found that she basically died from bleeding out because of a ruptured uh, uterus, you know. So they're carrying out investigations because this, I guess, shoddy clinic that's not even registered is, you know, they're going to be the ones to blame. Um, and they basically, I mean, they showed text messages of her telling her partner, like, just messaging him throughout the process, being like, oh, I went to the doctors today, like, I'm not feeling well, like, they've done the first whatever, they've done the first procedure, I need to go back a few hours later, I'm just not feeling well, I'm feeling cold, something about not eating, like, it's just so sad. And I'm like, why y'all letting us all see these text messages? Like, it's not, I don't know, but... Anyways, we're going to keep posted on this investigation. So, poly, back to polytricking. Eh? I told you there are two elections happening. Eh? Nigeria and then Senegal. Huh? Senegal is happening on the 24th. Now, here's the thing about the Senegal, the elections in Senegal. Right? So, first, they were already, they were already poly, polytricking even before the elections. Yeah? So, they changed the election laws to be that if you want to be a candidate, you have to get signatures from about, I believe it's 1% of the population, which is about like 53,000 signatures, if you want to like run for presidency. Now, in the last elections, this wasn't true. So they were about, I think, 12 to 14 um, presidential candidates in the last elections. But now in this one, because of that whole, you have to get 53,000 signatures, there are only about five, well, there are five candidates. Um, but here's my thing. How are you... These signatures... Like... I just don't get it. I don't get... What do you... Like, how do you even, like, ensure that these signatures are the real deal? Like, you know what I mean? Because you know they're not doing this online. Like, they're just going door to door, getting signatures. And at this point, it's like... Boy, you go and double check from the registered population if these names match. I don't get it. And what do people have the same names? Like... Me, I'm tired. 
I'm tired. <laughs> so that was one. So now they were five. They're, they're five now. But here's the thing. Another poll, another poly tricky, yeah? <laughs> the former president, Abdullahi Wade, I think he stopped being president around 2012. He, um, of course, he has a party. And his son was supposed to take over the party this year. Eh? <laughs> but in 2015, the son was found guilty of corruption. Eh? And um, he went to jail for about, he was supposed to go for, I think, six years or five years. But he only did like two and a half and then he was exiled to Qatar. Um, but here's the thing. The electoral laws eh, hold that you're not allowed to run for the presidential candidates if you have served, I think, five years in jail. So Abdullah Wade's son, who's Karim, Karim Wade, him and another guy, they both had served jail time for graphs and corruption. So like they were they were out of the they were out of the running. Yeah. But they really thought because okay, so for Kareem, Kareem was pardoned. The other guy wasn't, he's still in jail. But so when the electoral body came out and they were like, So based on that law, Kareem, you're not going to be able to run. Yeah, and he was like, Hold on, first of all, I only did two point five years. I was exiled after Secondly, I was pardoned, like that shouldn't count. But they were like, bruh, the law is the law. Eh? When I tell you that presidents deliver on the law during elections, eh? they deliver on the law during elections. <laughs> so the polytricky continues because now after they announced it, I think last week on Monday, Abdullah Wade, who is Karim's father, who was the former president, he came out eh, from France. Eh? He came to Senegal. He came to Dakar. Hmm? And he was like, listen, I want you guys to burn your voter cars. Eh? Burn them because these elections are not going to be free and fair. They refuse my son to run. Like, it's unfair. They're just like, just burn your voter cards. Now, here's the thing. This guy is, still has supporters. I mean, I don't know if people are going to follow through and burn their voter cards. I feel like he was also like, get rid of some bowling stations as well. <laughs> Being like, you know, all you need is a little gasoline <laughs> and a match. Like, like, can you imagine? Can you, like, can you imagine? Like, you're, you're literally pulling these stunts because your son committed corruption, served jail time, was pardoned, Mostly maybe because you're his father. And then now you want him to still take the... Eh, to carry the political touch for you. Ah! People, people are not serious, man. People are not serious, you know? Um, but, you know, again, we will watch those two elections this weekend. Eh? There's a lot of things to do. And we'll just see how they go. There are some clashes between some of the political opponents. And uh, two people died and a lot of people were injured. And I just don't know. I'm tired. I mean, every time there's elections anywhere in the continent, it's just the same thing. And I'm tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. We're all tired. You know? And then now we go to Uganda. Hey? Museveni. Eh? The biggest politrika of all. The biggest politrikshan. <laughs> Politrikishan. <laughs> so... He has just um, promoted his son mm, to lieutenant general. Mm. Yoweri Museveni himself is the general eh, of the army. 
Eh? But now his son is just a step under. Eh? And people are saying he's positioning him to kind of take over leadership in Uganda when he's done. But I'm like, of course. Of course, why are we even de we debating whether this is true? You know, he's promote in the past six years, he's promoted his son three times. You know what I mean? And like, how do you make it to just a general in six years? Oh, I, mean, I don't know what, what it is like in the army or whatever. But to me, I'm like, you're half the age of the president. You know what I mean? And then now you're just eh, you're just moving through their ranks, eh? And you know. The army is a very tricky situation because at the end of the day, when you're promoting people in the army, you're also going to be making some people upset. Eh? But you also have to make sure that you set your son up with a good alliance. Eh? So not only was the son being promoted, but about 2,000 other soldiers were promoted along with him. You know, I'm guessing these are the ones who have, uh, they're forming the alliance. Eh? So that way that when the, when the, when his son takes over, there will be no such thing as a military coup because everyone at the high levels will have been promoted with the son, through the son, with the son. And you know, they will just swoop in and take over. Hmm? But you know, I forgot to say allegedly. Eh? Allegedly. Me, I don't want people to come after me. Um, <laughs> I can't. But that's it in Uganda. Eh? Now, the last thing I actually wanted to cover was about this um, Nigerian, I guess you would say Nigerian, Nigerian national, Asa Muhammad, who is stuck in the Ethiopian uh, Addis Airport. Eh? Now, this is a game between two countries, yeah? Well, three now. Mm, just politics, eh? basically... <laughs> Politics have, well, maybe not even say politics, that, that, that like is what is making him get stranded in the airport. You know, Asa moved to Israel about eight years ago. And he was working there. He says he has the documents. And then in 2018, uh, the Israel Immigration Department went, took him and deported him back to Niger. Now, when he went to Niger, his documents for Israel were still valid. Eh? So he booked another ticket back to Israel and went. Eh? Now when he gets to Israel, the people at the border are like, bruh, you are back. Like, did we just set your ass away? Like, you do not, <laughs> you do not belong here legally. You know what I mean? So they take his papers hmm? and they send him back again. Now when he gets to Niger, the people in Niger are like, uh-uh. These emergency documents that have been uh, made for you to fly out. One, they're fake. Two, where, where's, your, where's your passport, where's your whatever to show that you are really <laughs> a Nigerian? Can you believe these people? So they were like, they held him for eight days. I don't know why in that eight days they didn't do research. Maybe to see if he was, you know, a birth certificate or something. Or just something, maybe finding someone to vouch for him. I, I don't know. You know? So they were like, bye-bye. They sent him back. Now him, he's like, he's going back to Israel. He's going to Israel through Ethiopia. He gets to Ethiopia, and the border patrol, Israel tells them, they tell the people in Ethiopia, they're like, we're not letting that man in. Eh? So if you guys fly him here, it will be on your own dime, eh? because us, we're not letting him back in. So now Isa Muhammad, he's in Ethiopia airport. Since November 2018, guys, 
November 2018. It reminds me of that Syrian, um, that Syrian guy, Hassan, Hassan Konta or something, and he was stuck in the airport as well in Malaysia. And he was there for seven months, and he was like on social media posting, um, showing how like the airport personnel were like giving him food. And then eventually, a Canadian um, person sponsored him because you know Canada has this thing where they do allow refugees in, but because there's so many, they also give the citizens the option of sponsoring a refugee. And basically, I think that means for like a year or two, you agree to kind of like cover the costs of everything of this refugee. So, Aisa Muhammad seems like he's on the same idea. He has now made a social media channel. On Twitter, he's Aisa Muhammad 2. Um, and basically, he's just showing how, like, for two months, he wasn't even able to shower because the airport doesn't have showers. Um, and he's just basically, like, scavenging around for food in the airport, so people give him food. Now, here's the thing. Ethiopia is very much, like, they also take in refugees and they've been like he can file for asylum and we will like you know go through the processes take him in like we have educational programs we have like you know programs that we apply to asylum seekers but they were like but he has to apply eh? now Asa Muhammad does not want to apply eh, to be an asylum in Ethiopia he has said he that wants to go back to his country or Israel now I don't blame him like you know in my mind I'm like if I don't want to be my okay if i love my country for like the betterment of myself and then i'm in another country and i'm like surviving i have a i have jobs i have a work i mean i have a i have a job and then now for some reason i get kicked out do you really think that i want to go back to another another country eh, where i have to still struggle the same way eh? i have to now be a eh? no to me i'm like send me back to my own country one and then i will find a way to leave <laughs> Because at least there, even if I left for better opportunities, at least maybe I have family there, you know? <laughs> they can't like, you know, I can be there with my love. Or send me to back to Israel where I also have a girlfriend or something. And also, you know, where I had a job. Uh, this is probably Asa Muhammad's like <laughs> thought process. And he's like, and then on top of that, why would I settle to be an asylum seeker in Ethiopia huh? when just the other day Hassan Kontar was, you know, shipped to Canada because someone hurumiyad him, eh? someone pitied him. Eh? Even me, I will start a... <laughs> Even me, I will start an account. Now, I know his biggest mistake probably was he should have flown maybe his middle... <laughs> he should have made his middle country different. He should have made it a country that he actually wants to stay in, you know? I think that's what I would do. I think, I guess maybe now he doesn't have money, so he can't even book his tickets, you know what I mean? Um, but in hindsight, he probably should have booked from Niger and made it stop, like, I don't know, somewhere random for a layover in a country that he actually wanted to stay in. So then when he was stuck in the airport, he could just apply for asylum there and do what he has to do. You know, but I can also get him. He's like, you know, I'm not, he's like saying, like, I'm not really seeking asylum. Like, I have my national country that I do not mind going to, but I don't have the papers. Like, you know, he also reached out to the Nigerian embassy in um, Ethiopia, but they were like, we can't help you, bro, because you don't have your original documents. Huh? And you know what? I'm just wondering, like, I mean, I guess the whole concept is like, maybe they think he's not really Nigerian, but like, isn't there ways to find this out without someone having like their documents on them? I mean, I just don't know. 
Asa Mohammed, we feel for you. Eh? Me, I'm following him on Twitter. We're just going to see. <laughs> we're just going to see who sees him and who Rumia's like on him. You know what I mean? Um, but yes. Not for Shariako. For this Shariako, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Actually, someone has sent me a question, but I think I'll do that question next week. Um, I just wanted to tell you guys, this is advice section. I wanted to tell you guys about um, this thing that I just ran into called the moral machine. They actually brought it up on another podcast that I listened to called The Intelligence. But basically, they did this study of, because you know, like, apparently, like, you know, maybe in the Western countries, maybe it's not going to happen in Africa yet. But we're moving, they're moving into self-driving cars. You know what I mean? And so basically, this moral machine was like a test or an experiment to see how people would prefer for the self-driving car to act. Because you know the thing about self-driving cars, they're like coded, but they're coded also by human being. Like you put in like how you want it to act basically. And so basically this test is one of those like how that, you know that train thing where they're like, a train is coming, five people are tied to this rail. And if you pull this lever, okay, the train is going straight and it'll kill those five people tied. But if you pull this lever, it will go into the other rail where there's one person tied, right? So it's like that, like, you're basically telling the car, like, if you're ever in this kind of situation, culturally, we prefer you to act like this. Kill the one person or kill the five. So I took the, I took the test. Bruh, it is, <laughs> like, literally, like, when I got to the end, I was like, ah, ah, please, let me, don't, don't use my results, please, because you have that option where you can discard your results, because at first when I was taking it, I didn't get, like, you know, first of all, if you go take it, so if you just go moral machine and Google that, it'll come up. And when you take it, make sure you click the show descriptions under each option because, you know, you might see like on one, you'll see the car. It'll tell you if it goes straight, it kills um, these two people who are crossing the road. And if it goes to the right, it kills a dog. So, like, you know, intrinsically, you're like, bruh, just just kill the dog. Like, why would you kill human beings, you know? <laughs> Culturally, like for me, I'm like, just go ahead with the dog. But they found that in some countries, people were like, bruh, but the dog, really? But if you click the show description, it might even say something like, the people who are crossing are crossing on a red light, right? But the dog was like crossing on a green light. So technically, the car should follow the rule of the green light and technically kill the people crossing on the red light. You know, that's what, that's what I'm telling you, like, look at the descriptions because also it tells you the people that are, that you're killing. Like, it might tell you one option is like one woman, one old person, one homeless person. And then it's like three kids, one executive. So it's almost like it, it, it makes you decide, like, <laughs> what kind of people you prefer to die for this self-driving car to kill. And I'm like, bruh. <laughs> But, you know, they did it, and apparently they did it for different countries, about 200, over 200 countries. And culturally, they found the, the sentiments were different. So, you know, they were proposing that actually, like, when self-driving cars become a thing, they're not all going to be coded the same way, but coded to also match people's, like, not people's, but the country, I guess, they're being made in, what their preference is. So for my shariako is just to tell you, go take this test, especially if you're on the continent, I feel like. I mean, everyone should just take it, but I feel like we need more, more Africans to take it so we can also gauge, yeah? we can also gauge how, how us we prefer things to go down if we ever get uh, the self-driving cars, you know, just so they have that data and, you know, they keep populating it. Um, I do want to shout out somebody who, like, you know, gave me props on Twitter. Like, 
she almost had me in tears because I was like, I didn't even know you listened, girl. Um, her name on Twitter is at Jernaj, at J-E-R-N-A-J. Thank you so much, girl, for, you know, the shout out. Keep listening. Um, yeah. And if you're a listener, you know, holla. Hold up. I also have to shout out Julia. Hi, Julia. <laughs> I know you listen. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I will catch y'all next week. Remember to send in shout questions. Okay. Bye.